What in the world is going on in Ukraine? What's up with Russia? Is this a harbinger of the end times? Where does God figure into all this? Stay tuned and find out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is Podcast 078, Podcast 78, where we have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so, and we'll give you a bird's-eye view perspective of a complex issue facing you, the church, the culture, and our world as we apply God's Word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll provide additional resources just in case you'd like to dig in a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Well, Keith, I think this is a this is the topic to talk about right now. I think everybody's wondering what exactly is going on in Ukraine and um, just trying to get all of the updates because I think uh, there's a few of us that probably feel like we're on the doorstep to World War III and uh, people just want to know what's going on. And, you know, I knew we were in the middle of this series on who is God and I was interested to see how you were going to fit all of this in to this Theology Anyone series that we're going and what is God like and the doctrine of God. Yeah, I know. It, it, we've been discussing this invasion and also the series, and we didn't want to swerve out of the series, but we didn't want to overlook the invasion either. And I think there's a tie-in here, so what we're going to do is try to marry both of these issues together. All right, so what about the Ukraine and Russia? Uh, I know Ukraine was part of the former USSR, the, the Soviet uh, Republic there, and I know that Russia and Ukraine and kind of that area of the world is an area that you're somewhat familiar with. So why don't we just kind of talk about that for a minute? Yeah, Ukraine was part of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. That is until the wall fell. But even prior to that, it was part of Tsarist Russia. So in essence, Ukraine has been enslaved twice. But just because they've been enslaved twice doesn't mean that we should, or anyone should allow them, the world community should allow them to be enslaved again. They are a separate people with a separate language. Ukraine has its own language, and although Russian language has been imposed on them before, they have a a somewhat different culture. Now, when the old Russian tyranny collapsed in the late 1980s and early 1990s, many enslaved people around the world were set free from a brutal socialist dictatorship. You had East Germany that was set free, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Hungary, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic, which used to be Czechoslovakia, Ukraine, and others. And under that brutal regime that lasted uh, a little over 70 years, many of their people were part of the 45 million people non-combatants, just regular people who were systematically starved to death or worked to death in a series of concentration camps known as the Gulag Archipelago. In fact, it was the Nazis that learned how to build concentration camps from the Soviet Union. Their prison camps ended, their concentration camps ended at the end of World War II, whereas the USSR, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, their concentration camps continued into the early 1970s. And so as these countries, with the fall of the Soviet Union, found freedom and reform, uh, they became democratic, and they today want nothing to do with uh, Putin's Russia. They have their own languages, they have their own cultures, they have their own aspirations. So what's up with Russia? Well, Putin is trying to rebuild the old Russian Soviet socialist empire, and two countries in particular that have irritated him have been Poland and, you guessed it, the Ukraine. Also, Putin despises the United States. So 
is that just really like a holdover from the Cold War? Because I know during the Cold War, obviously, Russia and the United States were adversaries, and it came close to nuclear war at uh, at different occasions between those two nations. Is so? Is Putin still holding on to that? Well, that's part of it. The old Soviet socialist republics were once bent on world domination. Like the Nazis, they wanted to conquer the world. And the United States helped form NATO to defend the rest of Europe so that the Russians didn't conquer it. And then years later, an American president, seeing the inward decay of the Russian economy, used the American economy to bring the tyranny down. And Putin resents that. He describes the disintegration of the USSR as the greatest tragedy in Russian and, if not, world history. Now think about that. The fall of the Soviet Union is like the fall of Nazism. And that's like saying Hitler's defeat was a tragedy. The Soviet Union and the Nazis, and even to some extent today, communist China, there's very little difference between them all. Anyway, there's this resentment, this animosity toward Western Europe and the U.S. in any country that remotely appears to support freedom. And so Vladimir Putin hates the United States, and he blames the United States for him inheriting a country that wasn't some great empire. Now, you have to remember just who Putin is and where he came from. He was a KGB officer, a Soviet or Russian intelligence officer, who cut his teeth by spying on college and university students in St. Petersburg. And he advanced to the Communist Party until he was able to wrest control of the leadership of Russia away from Boris Yeltsin. And he set himself up basically now as president for life, you know, a dictator. And so over the past 20 years, he's had dissidents murdered, journalists murdered and kidnapped. He's imprisoned or disappeared anyone who opposes his agenda. And regrettably, the West has tried to treat him, this Putin, as a legitimate politician rather than a thug or a dictator, which has only served to embolden him. And that's why he's got the nerve to take this run at the Ukraine. Now, more about Russia today. And we use the term Russia and the USSR or the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics interchangeably. They're really not the same thing. There were a number of so-called republics that were uh, enslaved by Russia, and and they formed this larger country. But even today, Russia by itself is so wide, it takes up 11 time zones. And it's been depopulating at a rapid pace since many of its people have left to find freedom in other countries. And once it had over 200 million people, and at last check, I think it has 145 million people and collapsing. But Putin has oil deposits, which he uses to blackmail or intimidate countries like Belgium and Germany by threatening to withhold natural gas. And so he gets them to play along with them. And he's got a nuclear arsenal left over from what he perceives as the glory days of the old Soviet empire. And so he spent the last 20 years enriching his pockets. He's worth something like $200 billion and modernizing his military, while most of the country still lives in relative poverty compared to the rest of Western Europe. And so he sees himself as some modern-day czar or Peter the Great. And so he's trying to make a name for himself by reestablishing what he believes or what he perceives as the old Russian empire. But what he really is, is, is he's a crime figure. He's an organized crime figure with an army and a nuclear arsenal. And as he's been watching our country decline into confusion and chaos with our botched, incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan and a series of other missteps by the present administration— He's chosen this time of our what he perceives as our greatest weakness to attack and reconquer Ukraine because he's rightly perceived that we're in the middle of a leadership crisis in this country. 
All right. So earlier you mentioned something about World War II, and I know there's been a lot of speculation that this is a very similar lead up that we saw to the lead up to World War II, almost being a repeat of history or something like that. Well, they, they say that unless we learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat our mistakes. And before the outbreak of World War II, Hitler and his National Socialists uh, in Germany conducted the 1936 Olympics, and he displayed the, the might and the grandeur and the military ability of Germany. He was trying to demonstrate his prestige. Then afterward, he invaded Czechoslovakia and Poland. Now, one of the things he sought to do, he used as an excuse, is the invasion of Sudetenland, which was on a, on a border with Germany. Uh, to protect German-speaking people there from the national government. It was an excuse, a pretext, just like Putin is using now. He's claiming he's going into Ukraine to protect Russian-speaking people and establish these independent countries. He's talking about the denazification of, of Ukraine and the demilitarization of Ukraine, and it's all a ruse. And just like with Hitler, the world protested and twiddled its thumbs, and Hitler got braver and stronger until the world found itself in a world war. People kept backing down. They kept trying to appease Hitler like they're doing with Putin. And when you look at our president's bumbling and flaccid response and the, the response of some of our generals who are saying in the news it's better that the Ukrainian people lay down their arms and surrender and that we as a country should stay out of this, you see why Putin is so brazen and confident. And so the world is slow to respond and Putin is gaining ground just like Hitler when he overran Poland and, the, and Czechoslovakia. We are helping Russia expand at the expense of free people. And Putin, make no mistake, he's not done with conquest by a long shot. Okay, and so what about the connection to the 1936 Olympics? Okay, well, there are likenesses and differences. Uh, I look at the, the recent Olympics in China like the 1936 Olympics. China showing its might. Putin was there with Xi. Here you have these old-line socialist governments with their bloody and brutal pasts, and you have the U.S. and the West as their common enemy. They are anti-freedom, and so they make this big show of unity and power, just like the Germans did. They're aligning. You know, They want to spread the West. They want to spread the United States thin. It's kind of like Germany and Japan and Italy aligning to form the Axis powers. Well, jumping ahead, it's Russia, China, and Iran this time seeking to exploit our weakness and the resolve of the West. And so Xi, like Putin, uh, brutalizes his enemies, slaughters his people. You have the, the uh, over a million Uyghurs in China in concentration camps undergoing forced sterilization. Uh, there's organ harvesting. And in the midst of all this, you have Iran calling us the great Satan. It's bizarre and it's threatening. And so shortly after the Olympics, Hitler invades Sudetenland. Shortly after the Olympics, Russia invades Ukraine. And I believe these new Axis powers are will, will probably test our resolve as a nation by acting in coordinated efforts over time. I think and with seeing our weak response, our weak initial response to the Ukraine, uh, China will threaten Taiwan, and they'll see how this goes. And maybe North Korea, a satellite state for China, will toy with or threaten South Korea. And Iran will, uh, will threaten or mess with Israel and possibly we and our befuddled leaders will do little or nothing with any level of competence or we'll do it late in the game. Yeah, I, I think, you know, starting with the plot from Afghanistan, I think it's safe to say that America has not really positioned itself to show the strength and leadership. And really, you know, the president has 
the moniker of being the leader of the free world. And I think, you know, through time and, and maybe through America's uh, kind of self-obsessedness with all of the things that are wrong with us, we have forgotten that we do lead and we should lead well. And so uh, we have backed off. And I think these other people have seen that. Yeah, well, it's like this. We've given up the moral high ground. We've uh, stepped out of the leadership uh, posture in the world, and they are going to fill the vacuum. And what we have here is a repeat of the kind of events that drew us into World War in the 1930s and 1940s. You have a Hitler type in Putin who doesn't care about popularity or reason or history judging them, and they want to project their power. And this new axis is much more dangerous on so many levels. I mean, the Russians and the Chinese have successfully conducted cyber attacks on our infrastructure and banking systems. Analysts believe they shut down the east-west pipeline that moved oil across our country a few months ago. Uh, Putin has talked about extreme actions, which people have interpreted, and maybe rightly so, as a threat of nuclear war. But I think he's also threatening us if we intervene in Ukraine with cyber war, like shutting down our power grid. It's not a matter of if we are going to confront him decisively, but when we'll be forced to by situation and circumstance, and we had better not wait too late. What we have here is an act of international aggression that has been unseen in over 80 years in Europe, and it ta all it takes for evil to prevail is for so-called good men to do nothing. At least right now, we're starting to see some activity in the European Union, maybe Canada. But I think, sad to say, that the cat is out of the bag. And here's the thing, Mark. It's the right thing to do to intervene, to stop this international bully, to stop this international terrorist. Here's a good quote from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. People remember him when he opposed the Nazis and it cost him his life. He said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Yeah, and I think those are, are wise words uh, for us to remember that standing silent in the face of evil is is never going to be something that's okay. And so I guess now as we kind of start to turn towards what we do here, which is talk about theology and the Bible and how it all fits in, I got two questions, I guess. What's the worst case scenario? And then ultimately, where does the theology fit in? Or really, where does the sovereignty of God fit into all this? Well, let's start with worst case scenarios. One of the uh, key players in all this, I believe, is going to be the nation of Israel. Uh, what I see playing out at some point is these Axis powers testing us. Now, Russia and China and Iran are very different countries, but they have a common enemy that they would like to unite against, and that's us. So I believe that they'll create brush fires for us to react or respond to in different parts of the world. Putin is doing it in Ukraine. I think China will do it in Taiwan. And I think that uh, uh, Iran will do it in Israel. And I don't think Israel is in a position not to push back on Iran. And, you know, Israel cannot afford a nuclear Iran. Iran's already said that they're going to wipe Israel off the map. So let's suppose something happens and Israel batters Iran in self-defense. My concern is, is that Russia and China will intervene. And I, and I believe what would happen then is there would be just a massive uh, move to the brink of a world war. And I also think this kind of gets into an eschatological uh, or end times kind of scenario. Yeah, I mean, I think with all the things that we've been seeing, 
and, and I think somebody said it before, it's just this uh, speeding up of history almost and everything is happening so fast. So when, when you put what's happened here with COVID in the past two years and kind of just our bend towards even free democratic countries bending towards totalitarianism and then you see all of those things with Israel coming into conflict, Iran, and all of those things. It's going to be hard not to speculate that uh, the end times are close. Well, and, and that's right. And But we do want to be careful, Mark, because as much as I'm looking at it from that perspective as well, we don't want to get carried away. But the big question is, and I know you're going to ask it is... Yeah, I think what we really have to ask, and I think one of the things that I've been just considering for myself is, where is God in all of this? Where do Christians... Uh, fit in and what do Christians do with all of these concerns? It's hard not to look at our world today and be very concerned about what's going to happen in the future. And so really, how should we be thinking about these things? Uh, what what are some things that we should be considering as Christians uh, in this world? Well, first and foremost, we don't want to panic. We know that God is sovereign. That's the subtext of this discussion of uh, theology, anyone. What is God like? God is sovereign. He's in, in control of everything. It is he who declares the end from the beginning. Uh, you know, it says in God's word, Job says that no plan of yours can be thwarted. And we've seen God raise up kingdoms and knock them down. And there's a passage in uh, Psalm 29 I'd like to share with you that kind of speaks to that, that should give us some sense of peace. And it says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly ones, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people, and may the Lord bless his people with peace. Now, in biblical terminology, waters often represents storms and confusion and trials and hardship. And what it's saying is God has, with all the changes and all the storms and everything that's come and gone, God has been in charge. He remains in charge, and he will always be in charge. And he, he has declared forth his uh, redemptive plan and redemptive history. We've seen it in the book of Daniel. We've seen it in the book of Revelation. And I think we have advice here and comfort, and that is God's in charge. All we have to do is be faithful. You see a little bit of this in Habakkuk as well, in Habakkuk chapter 3. Uh, Habakkuk is praying to God about the injustice he sees in his own country, kind of like our country. And God says, I'm going to put an end to that injustice. I'm going to bring a foreign country in and smash this country and carry the people away into exile. And Habakkuk goes, oh, no, you can't do that. And God speaks with him again. And then Habakkuk comes to this conclusion, beginning in Habakkuk 3.16. I hear and my body trembles. My, lip qui my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. So he's shook at, you know, God's Dis discipline and chastisement of Israel, but God also promises to punish those who attack Israel. And he says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon those who invade us. And, and continuing in 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the, in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Why? Because we trust him, because he's sovereign, because he's in control. 
And that's why it says also in Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. The key to our survival, the key to our thriving, the key to our hanging on and hanging in in these tough times is our trusting in God. So we trust in God, basically. We, we be faithful. God is sovereign. He's in control. And he's going to keep his promises. And he promises to bring all this world and all this injustice, as we studied in the book of Revelation, to its final end. And we are just in one snapshot, one vignette of redemptive history. And all we have to do is trust God and live out our faith with urgency. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like further resources, visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. If you'd like to ask me a question, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at keith at hillside.org. Worship with us at 8 o'clock, 9.30 and 11 on Sunday. You can live stream our services as well. And whatever podcast platform you're on, please give us a rating. Please make a comment. It moves us up in the algorithm and we reach more people with this podcast and with the message of the gospel. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.